uh, for folks who are maybe listening to this who are newer to CAS, the work of these standards revision committees, what they're actually producing is a set of uh, may and must statements that, that are kind of the standard for that functional area. So if you were to build a program from scratch or uh, want your program to, to reach kind of a baseline, if you're looking for a compass of sorts of, of what your programs and services should be, these standards committees are, are writing that and those merged with the general standards. So things that are true of all functional areas across higher education, those things are, are what together comprise the, the CAS standards. Welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I am your host, Heather Shea. In anticipation of the release of the 11th edition of the CAF standards, we're joined today by several members of the Council for the Advancement of Standards or CAS leadership to provide an overview or introduction to this valuable resource in the field. Joining me today are the current CAS president, Dr. Ralph Johnson, the member at large for research assessment and publications, Dr. Dan Burrow, and the editor, Dr. Lena Crane. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find us at studentaffairsnow.com, on YouTube, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity. A true partner, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. This episode is also brought to you by Stylus. Visit styluspub.com and use the promo code SANOW for 30% off and free shipping. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for more information about each of these sponsors. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from East Lansing, Michigan on the campus of Michigan State University, where I work. MSU occupies the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples. The university resides on land ceded somewhat under duress in the 1819 Treaty of Saginaw. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of Student Affairs Now, and welcome to all three of you to the podcast. Uh, maybe each of you could start by telling me a little bit about your role on your campus and how you got involved with CAS. We'll start with our current president, Ralph. Hello, Ralph Johnson. Hey. Hello, how are you? Good, I'm doing great. Excellent, excellent. As has been stated, I'm Ralph Johnson. And I serve as vice president for student life at Washington at Venice University, that name right behind me. I'm very excited to be here because it's part of my own faith and I'm working at a faith-based institution that reflects personal values of my own. Uh, I really enjoy the opportunity to work with our students uh, very much. And what I'm also excited about is that I'm able to bring uh, to our institution some of those good practices in higher education that we may not have used before and introducing the whole cast concept uh, to my university community. Uh, I am the uh, president of CAS, as has been stated, and I've been involved with CAS since 2006. So I'm one of those uh, old timers. I've uh, been around for a while, but I enjoy the work so very much that I just keep coming back. Awesome. Well, welcome to the podcast. 
Um, my other two guests have been on other episodes of Student Affairs Now. So Lena, welcome, welcome back. Thank you, Heather. I'm glad to be with you. And, and thank you so much for dedicating uh, this episode to, to uplifting Cass. I, I am Lena Crane. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm speaking from the unceded lands in central Pennsylvania, home of Bucknell University, uh, and also the ancestral home of the Susquehannock people. Uh, I honor the ways that we all benefit from the land and from indigenous wisdom, uh, which plays also a significant role in, in the caste standards. And so uh, I'm also committed to supporting nativepartnership.org. Check that out if you'd like to take action beyond naming the, the lands that we've claimed. Um, in my day job, in my primary role at Bucknell University, I provide leadership for aspects of the student experience that are connected to well-being. And I uh, am the current CAS editor. I first came to CAS uh, as a campus user and then uh, was a longtime intern with the board where, where Ralph and Dan uh, welcomed me warmly about 10 years ago and then back again more recently as editor. Awesome. Well, I know you know these standards forwards and backwards, probably as an editor. <laughs> um, and I really look forward to hearing more about that role and all of the things that you all do with Cass. Um, Dan, welcome back. Also, I think, Dan, you might be one of our super fans. Of I am. I, am a now. Super fan. I have my mug over there, right there. I, mean, I should have yeah. it in the background. It's so much <laughs> older, but uh, hello, my name is Dan Bureau. I use he, him pronouns. I am the assistant vice president for student health and well-being at Louisiana State University, which is situated on the indigenous lands of the Choctaw and the Huma. And I am the immediate past president of CAS and have served on CAS since 2008. And I am there because the Association of Fraternity and Surrey Advisors said you should do this and I did it. And so as with everyone else who serves on CAS, I'm a representative from an association and I've really appreciated AFA permitting me to serve for the last 15 years on CAS. Awesome. Well, welcome to all three of you. I thought we'd start this, this podcast really today is an introduction to CAS. Um, and so let's start with just kind of a basic overview of what the purpose and mission is of this organization um, broadly. So Ralph, maybe I'll start with you. We'll just go in that same order that we just came in. I am not quoting our published mission statement Okay. I'm speaking good, good. from the heart. <laughs> the main idea for CAS is to really create, update, and promulgate one of the words that one of our past presidents loved, promulgate standards of good practice in higher education so that we can make sure that our programs and services are truly assisting students in their overall growth, development, and success. Okay. I love that word promulgate. Um, I think I used it later or I used it in the, in the intro. Um, okay, so Lena, what do you what do you consider to be the purpose and mission of CAS? I will speak from the the published vision of CAS mm -hmm. and, and I love it because it comes back to students. The the vision of CAS is to to support, promote, make better and best student learning development and success. Awesome. I love that too. That's great. Dan, how about you? Well, I mean, you go third, the other two take all the good responses. But uh, <laughs> what, what I will say is I bring up the idea of continuous improvement a lot when talking mm -hmm. about CAS, which really CAS is a way to develop, implement, and assess and deliver high quality programs and services, but really with an ethos of continuous, this is how we can do our work better. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um. 
Yeah, I think of Cass in, in all of the ways that you all mentioned that mentioned it, but I do really kind of go back to assessment um, and the usefulness of the standards and kind of understanding where my program kind of currently lives and maybe where it could be improving. Right. Um, so we're, we're doing this episode today partially to hype the newest version, which is to be released April-ish around there. Um, we're really, I think we're all really excited to see the 11th version come out. Um, Lena, can you tell us a little bit about the new edition? What standards have been updated? What new standards are included? Um, and then how might people access this document when it's actually available? Yes, yes. Well, well, I everything is new. Everything is exciting. I think whether folks are very familiar with CAS, longtime users, or brand new, I, I think they will really appreciate the content and format that perhaps the the most user and reader friendly that that it's ever been. Uh, mm. For for one, I, I think that CAS as an organization and certainly with the publications, we've been really responsive to to the feedback of campus users, and so users have increasingly requested that the CAS materials be in an interactive electronic format, and so uh, to that end, the eleventh version will be the first version released in ebook ebook format only. Uh, that ebook will feature significant interactive elements, uh, significant aesthetic enhancements. For example, think hyperlinks that are clickable, uh, a writable PDF format, which we've been getting asked for, for for years and years. And it will allow for individual printing for, for folks who also would like a, a paper product. Uh, the self-assessment guide. So we've got the standards and, and the self-assessment guides. The, the self-assessment guides or the SAGs for short. Uh, those will be interactive PDFs uh, also with significantly revised, very user-friendly directions. Uh, and uh, to your question about, you know, what's been updated, the, the general standards uh, have been uh, completely updated. And so every functional area standard has also been updated. Uh, you also mentioned that, that some are, are brand new. I, I want to look at Dan and Ralph to double check me on this, but we have a number of new functional areas. Uh, we are releasing those to be responsive to trends in the profession. And so uh, one new functional area that you'll see is esports, which is so hot, so rapidly growing on, on campuses right now. And, and folks have been looking to us like, where is the standard? What is the standard? Well, I, I'm glad to say that it's here. Uh, also campus credential programs and services. That's a new functional area standard. Um, indigenous student affairs. That's a, another new standard. Um, Dan, Ralph, am I missing some others? I think those are the the new few, but they've all been significantly revised. Yeah. Or created. Or created. Or created. Yeah. And, you know, I'm excited because I served on the committee that uh, developed the esports standards. And I have to tell you, we had to learn quite a bit ourselves as we were pulling these standards together. And were it not for the help of the experts in the field, which, of mm -hmm. course, we use for all of our standards, uh, we would have probably still been paddling around trying to figure this out, but we really appreciate all those folks who serve as experts across the spectrum of higher education who come together and partner with us to create and or update these standards. Definitely. That's awesome. I also want to call out Dan, because I think Dan, you were involved with the general standards revision and there was an enhanced focus on equity and inclusion particularly. And and um, inclusion of international and indigenous voices. And so uh, because the, the general standards are such a part of, of every single functional area standard and SAG, um, that, that's a really important update for this version 11. Yeah, a few years ago when we revised them in the 2018, 2019, we're like, oh, this is done. This is the best we'll ever do. 
And now after this last reiteration and under the leadership of Gavin Henning, who's been a guest on this show a lot and um, is a stalwart in the student affairs assessment world, I mean, he just brought us in whole different directions. And I think the um, access, equity, diversity, inclusion, social justice is much more infused across all of our standards. I'm really excited about what we got with that. And the, the layout design that Lena and her team are doing, is just like, wow, it's going to be so much better to see this thing only in digital because you can just do so much more. You have freedom from having to like only use two colors, you know, and it's just the layouts is going to be so much different. It's really exciting. Yeah, so so think increased font size and, and the accessibility that comes with that. Uh, think uh, color and font changes to to demarcate you know certain parts of the standards all these things that user has asked for for years but where we've been limited in some ways in in doing a, only a print product so that's exciting and then uh, lastly CAS uh, recently entered a partnership with EBSCO you've you've likely heard of or used EBSCO if you have ever used a, your campus's electronic library and so uh, CAS will now be searchable through EBSCO library uh, resources. And, and as always, CAS 11 and, and all of our products and services can be purchased through cas.edu. Awesome. We will make sure we add that link to our show notes so that folks can directly go to the website, which is full of all kinds of great information, as well as, you know, accessing the product itself. Um, I am really interested, though, because I know a lot of different units, subunits, functional areas within um, student affairs and higher education have their own sets of standards. Um, Ralph, can you talk a little bit about that kind of um, interchange between standards and then how that, you know, those various populations have integrated into CAS? Well, we work, we partner with several of those organizations that have, or those functional areas that have their own standards uh, and while simultaneously using uh, the CAS standards. That's just much uh, additional information for the professionals in that particular area to have in order to really know that they're doing a great job with their particular functional area in enhancing student learning development and success. So there was, there's you know, generally a partnership where we work together uh, on those. Uh, and it's certainly not a situation where the professionals in a given area have to choose one or the other, often going between the two. Uh, and pulling the best pieces out in order to do a comprehensive review that fits their particular institution mm -hmm. and their particular situation. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That sounds good. Um, CAS, I know, has been around for a while. I mean, the 11th version, that doesn't mean it's only been once every year, right? It's many, many decades. Correct. Um, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about that history um, and how, you know, how it was established, you know, why people came together um, and, and maybe a little bit about the uniqueness of the structure as well. Yeah, it is really a unique structure and CAS came together in 1979. It was really born out of ACPA and NASPA. And for the most part, people at the time wanted to create standards for preparation programs because, you know, KCREP wasn't quite doing it for student affairs, higher ed programs, and they really sought to have some kind of, and they were really committed even at that point to self-assessment, not necessarily an accrediting body, but some level of self-assessment about how to ensure that those programs had high quality. Um, some of the early founders, there were eight original associations who founded CAS, including NURSA, NASPA, ACPA, NACA, um, AKUOI, 
uh, and I, forgive me if I've forgotten other ones, but you know, but that over time we've grown to 43 different associations currently actively engaged in our work, and that's only in 43 years of existence. And some have come and gone, you know, and then um, and some are really new. You know, Elena uh, mentioned the campus credential. NACU joined us just three years ago um, and already have a set of standards because of the diligent work of their representatives. But, you know, the history of CAS is really, and Ralph mentioned this concept earlier about all partnerships. I mean, ultimately, CAS exists in order to kind of bring these people together around this idea of common good practice, good delivery of programs and services. So, uh, I mean, that's really where we have hung our hat for the last 44 uh, years now. Uh, Ralph is only the 10th president of CAS as well. Uh, so, I mean, there were several early on, Roger Winston, Don Kramer, Phyllis Mabel, some of the real stalwarts of the field of student affairs, many of whom were past ACPA presidents as well. Um, you know, they served for a long time. Okay. And we've had a lot of longevity in CAS. The last decade has been a little bit different in that regard, but there have been people, you know, that have served in CAS for a very long time. Um, the thing about the modern day mission of CAS, what I will say is that we talked about this earlier, but there's really four key components and we are unique because we come together across professional associations and that alone, that doesn't happen anywhere else. There is no other body that can bring together and it's not just around standards. We can be a real voice for the field when we need to be as well. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the four things we do is we unite people, we create the standards, which are really frameworks for good practice. We focus on continuous improvement, which includes self-assessment, ongoing attention to assessment and planning. And then, as Lena mentioned, this commitment to student learning and development, which, while always part of student affairs, has really become in the last 20 years more the core to our, our mission and purpose. And those are the things that we hold up. But I will say that CAS as an organization very much relevant today. We contribute a lot to the higher education environment. We welcome all of our associations. We actively engage our associations. And this idea of working together towards common standards uh, that will really benefit higher education is really such an important contribution that we are making to the field, to higher education at large. And if I could just add real quick, and I know Dan has alluded to it, but I want to be very intentional about using the word consortium because that's what mm -hmm. we are. A conglomerate, a consortium, a grouping of professional associations that are committed to creating these standards that they invest resources in sending representatives to our meetings and uh, giving them the opportunity to be in partnership one with the other to make sure that eyes from varying perspectives of the field and the profession look at these standards to uh, make sure we're closing gaps. We are looking at various ways to interpret so that we, when we come away from a set of standards, that it really would have been vetted quite well. Well, and that interdisciplinary approach, Ralph, it really is nowhere else because, right. you know, while not every representative looks at our standards equally, right? Because there are some that people just, you know, can't get around to, but for the most part, 42 different organizations have the ability to get feedback on any sets of standards, whether it be esports or campus credential or LGBT programs or residence life or whatever. I mean, that ability to get input that kind of approaches this like we're all in this together. We can all focus on these shared goals while also respecting the unique things that we do in our functional areas. That's a really cool thing to contribute to to our profession. I can also imagine just the the networking and opportunity to kind of 
work across associations is a phenomenal yes. place, right? I mean, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, when it becomes conference season, you know, we all go out in those spaces, but I can imagine every single CAF meeting as this opportunity for this to be really rich space for generative, um, engaged learning across, across various functional areas. So I love that. Um, Ralph, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, the unique kind of structure with association membership, because like, as I'm really familiar with ACPA, right, we have members who are individuals who work on campuses, but member associations and CAS is a really different kind of structure. Right. Um, you know, talk a little bit too about how the individuals who represent those organizations are chosen to serve in that capacity. Well, let me just say that uh, that is, that varies from one organization to the next. Each organization has its own way of identifying who will come to uh, the CAS Council. I represent the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, and we identify uh, individuals, you know, in a way that's different from a uh, AFA. You know, mm -hmm. I jokingly say to my association and to the CAS Council, I was a cheap date. We were looking around for someone who was close to DC because most of our meetings were in DC. I happen to be in Maryland. They're like, Ralph, you're in Maryland. Why don't you represent us on CAS? I'm like, okay. And so I went to the CAS uh, uh, council as a result of that. And then I just got there and just became absolutely excited about the work uh, that I found uh, at that CAS table. Uh, and different associations will send, and I happen to be a past president of SACSA, but that wasn't the reason I was asked to come. Whereas in some associations, that's exactly why some are asked to come mm. because they're past presidents. Some mm. are asked to come uh, because they have a specific role on their uh, governing structure of their particular association. So the reasons vary why people come to the, uh, to the cast table. But what I'm excited about is that generally speaking, those individuals who do come are committed to in helping their association uh, and helping students and to make sure that their associations are indeed helping students with their overall uh, development. Uh, the other thing that I think is important uh, to mention relative to how we, uh, how we work uh, is that each association can send up to two representatives. Some send one, some send two. And those representatives can be there for as short as a year or two. And some are veterans like Dan and myself who've been around for more than a decade. And so this intergenerational experience around the table is also very exciting, but we see very young professionals coming in and they tolerate those of us who've been around for a while who think we know everything. But it's very exciting when we all put our minds together in order to create a set of standards. That's great. Lena, Dan, anything else you'd add about kind of the uniqueness of the association structure? I really appreciate that it brings together folks, both individuals in their roles and associations or functional areas, big picture, that may never or rarely interface in, in their campus work. I was I was trying to think of like two areas for whom that, that might be the case. Like think like campus food programs and and campus police or something. And so to watch yeah. in the CAS setting where they understand and and uh bolster one another's perspective and it's it's really neat to to see that happen yeah i think there's so much opportunity too and i think that people look at us as the promulgator of standards and frameworks for practice and also those are big in the assessment world right but i do think that we're uniquely positioned to convene around really tough dis dis discussions about what's happening in higher education 
And I feel like to some extent we've been able to engage people in ways that other groups can't do. That's not our primary purpose. I'm not trying to encroach on anyone's space in terms of what they're responsible for. But in at least in that period of time, when you have people like, you know, Rich Keeling comes and speaks at our meetings. Okay, Karen Solomon, who works for the Higher Learning Commission, comes and speaks to our meeting. And I, I do honor the fact that this is a real privileged position for me to be in. I mean, we only allow two people from every association. But as a result of those two people, we can go back to our respective associations and help them say, hey, this is what they're doing over here. Or you know, if we really want to be more in line with what senior student affairs officers want, maybe we want to attend to what's happening over in this association, those kinds of things. So really, if associations use their reps well, we are empowering their members with information that they probably would not get just from the distinctive functional area that they're working with. I love that. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's what we need, right? We need that kind of cross-collaboration, boundary-crossing opportunities, and then taking what we're learning in those spaces back to the places, whether it's our campuses or our other associations, to kind of really foster that. Um, Lena, back to you just for a moment, because I am really curious, this, this job of being the editor, how did you get that job? Um, and what is the process by which you revise? I, I can only imagine like the, the time intensive work that that's engaged in. It's definitely a, a team of teams approach. If you know the, the model of a team of teams that is hyper true of CAS. Um, I personally, I first became acquainted with CAS as a campus user. I, I participated in an internal program review. And then mm -hmm. while in my doctoral program, I worked with the then executive director of CAS on the board for about three years. And uh, you you mentioned just a moment ago the, the, the idea of cross-functional uh, interdisciplinary being so important. I remember being part of those early conversations around what's now the multifunctional and, and cross-functional standards and supports. And uh, and then, you know, after leaving my role with CAS at that time, I became uh, an external reviewer and I stayed attuned now as someone who in my campus role is leading multiple units and, and um, using CAS. Uh, so when past editor, Dr. Jen Wells, uh, she served in the role for about 10 years and she is remaining very involved, very influential through this transition. And when she announced that transition, it, it felt logical as, as a user and someone attuned to big picture trends and needs. And I remember speaking with Dan about some of the potential, these ideas for, for new CAS programs and services. And, uh, and so that was kind of what called me back to CAS. I, I think the same is true for assistant editor, Dr. Kelly Dixon, and she mm -hmm. has been mm -hmm. super active uh, in campus assessment. She's now a faculty member, but, but was a, a, like a director of assessment on a campus uh, and also a, a, an external reviewer. And while we're naming folks, I also want to shout out the editorial team, uh, Noah Henry Darwish, associate editor, and Laura Dahl, cast designer. Uh, they are exceptional. They are stars in their primary roles, and, and the profession is better for their service on, on this editorial team. So, so that there's one team. Uh, but, but how we get the, the standards and, and how we uh, create what, what you'll see as, as the ebook and, and SAGs, uh, there, each functional area and the general standards has a, a team uh, that, that over the course of, in some cases, several years, revises that set of standards. Uh, they are compromised sometimes of content area experts and folks who are CAS experts, that is, uh, experts in, in creating usable standards. And so uh, they also consult and include heavily uh, functional area kind of content experts, uh, and they 
uh, produce that um, set of standards and and uh, then move it forward to the to the editorial team. Uh, Dan, I think you have been uh, of this call the the one to have most recently participated in in a standards review. So what did that look like for your your team before it got to the editorial team? Well, um, this the and every I approach it a little bit differently when I'm chairing standards. I think it's really important. Are you talking about the general standards or when I have chaired functional area revision? I think the latter, right? Probably You're asking yes. Lena. Yeah, I I think that for me, uh, I really rely on the experts a lot, and I think that while the, it's really important that, and to be clear, the chair of a standards revision committee is never representative from the association. While that person might sit on the committee. We really depend on this interdisciplinary approach. So, for example, I came up through fraternity and sorority life. One of the areas we would work with was student conduct. I served as a student conduct chair, and while the people from ASCA sat as the expert on the committee, but like I would never be the chair for the fraternity and sorority life programs revision. Someone it's checks and balances, and it helps the standards yeah. revision from becoming an echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah, so bringing in experts, using the CAS committee of council representatives, the CAS, the council will review all the sets of standards on calls, which is phenomenal. Heather, we used to sit in a room and go line by line when we reviewed standards like 12 years ago. It was as bad as you might think it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it's what it was, what it was at the time, yeah. but we have technology in other ways in order to kind of make that better. Yeah. And Boy, by the end, everyone has their opportunity to be engaged in that work and give feedback. And we have a standards management committee. And I'm not sure this was actually the question you asked, but I mean, the process really is, it varies a little bit by person, but I know that we're turning these processes around in 12 to 18 months on average. So um, it's a lot of work to be doing. We do three to three to five revisions a year. No, uh, three to five revisions per council meeting, actually, in some instances. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're revising a lot of standards and general standards, and boy, and when you're getting ready for this 11th version, Lena, all the things you're doing, revising contextual statements, doing all the parts, all the things. Yeah, it's a it's a happy relay though. I, yeah. it's a happy relay. Yeah, uh, for folks who are maybe listening to this who are newer to CAS, the work of these standards revision committees, what they're actually producing is a set of uh, may and must statements that, that are kind of the standard for that functional area. So if you were to build a program from scratch or uh, want your program to, to reach kind of a baseline, if you're looking for a compass of sorts of, of what your programs and services should be, these standards committees are, are writing that and those merged with the general standards. So things that are true of all functional areas across higher education, those things are, are what together comprise the, the CAS standards. You, you teed up my next question perfectly, which was really about how do we use these, right? How do we use the CAS program standards for development, um, for, um, for connection, for whatever we're going to try to um, create? And so, Dan, can you talk a little bit about this? I understand you just gave a guest lecture this morning at a higher ed program. So, like, you could you could uh, give us the short version um, of that. But I'm definitely really interested in hearing um, how how we use them. What's the application? Yeah, um, I say there's five primary primary ways one might use the CAS standards. One is to design new or enhance existing, like kind of re envision or design new programs. 
the other one would be more of this idea of like, how do you take existing programs and make them better? The third one would probably be this idea of continuous improvement through self-assessment, which is both a internal process, but when you apply external reviewers, it might turn into more of a program review model when many campuses have such a model within your division of student affairs or whatever we're calling that division of mm -hmm. student services on their campus. Uh, the fourth one really would be kind of like a personal development tool. Mm -hmm. I think that particularly how these standards are used in graduate preparation programs. I know Heather, you instruct in yours and, and you use the standards in your courses. You know, just the opportunity for someone to sit there and go, huh, I, I think I can do this. I mean, these three standards right here, I could really knock out of the park, but maybe these ones, I need to enhance my competencies in order to do a little bit better. Like, I think these are really a reflective tool and a tool for not only continuous improvement, of departments and divisions, but also of professionals. I would align these very closely to ACPA and NASPA professional competencies or functional area specific competencies in terms of creating a professional development plan. The last thing I'll say in terms of a, of a primary use, I, I, I think that's very important. Um, I'm a big framework person. I think everything is like, you know, I could, whether it be student development theory or cultural competence or assessment, whatever, I think you just have to have a framework in mind and I actually think that for our folks that want to create learning and development outcomes, I think we, why recreate the wheel? We have yes. six domains of, of learning and development. We have probably across those six, we probably have what, Lena, like 23 different dimensions of learning. Uh, there's some slight modifications we'll make in this next version. Another good reason to pick up the next version when, when we do, uh, not pick up, but, you know, buy the link or whatever we're going to call it now, Lena, but um, but I mean, I think that our learning and development outcomes are timeless and they really represent the broad kind of things we're trying to do with our programs and services. So, you know, create new, um, enhanced programs, self-assess, program review, use as a, a reflection tool to enhance our professional competence and then kind of as a uh, framework for student learning and development to be the five things that I kind of promote out there. Lena, do you have any other thoughts on those? I would say beyond those, I, I frequently use and refer folks to the contextual statements. The, the mm. contextual statement is oh. the pages of text mm -hmm. that are before each standard. Yeah. Okay. And it is a, a thorough summary of the history, the background, kind of the why, uh, and also the trends and anticipated future directions of each functional area. And so if you were uh, newly learning about higher education or, or new to a functional area, I like them as both a time capsule. It's neat if you look at them over time and, and also as, as a compass. Um, incidentally, I, I think CAS will be publishing a, a compendium of those contextual standards as a separate ebook in the near future. And, and I think it will be a terrific resource for folks coming into the field, uh, grads and, and such in particular. I, I think that will be hugely beneficial. I mean, partially because we see folks who aren't coming in through traditional student affairs, master's and, and doctoral prep, professional prep programs. Like, how do we help communicate what the work is that we do and and why this like suite of offerings on our college and university campuses are a part of this much larger unit? Um, the other example I had, and I appreciated what you said about um, personal development, uh, I know one of the things I did at one point in my career, probably about 15 years ago, was I was applying for a job in a functional area that I didn't have a lot of knowledge around. Um, and the campus you know, office had been around for a while. So I'm like, surely they must be paying attention to the standards, right? Um, so I pulled open the, the CAS standards. A, it helped me understand, you know, what are the things that as a candidate, 
for the directorship of that office, I needed to be able to demonstrate. And then two, it asked, it allowed me during my on-campus inter interview to ask some really great questions about the ways in which that campus had either um, paid attention to or taken up the CAS standards or, or just with doing some of the work that is um, in some of those may or must um, statements on, on, uh, on that campus. So um, that was somewhat of, I, I thought at the time, a unique way of using um, CAS at the, at the individual level. Um, but do you have other examples of things that you've heard people say, oh, I, I pulled open the CAS standards for that? I like that you mentioned that too, Heather, and we actually have resources for graduate students about how to incorporate CAS into your job search. And, you know, some of these resources will pass on to you and you can link them in the show notes and all that kind of stuff that you all do. But uh, the thing I will add about, um, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Um, oh, the idea about determining priorities in limited resources, both human, fiscal, fiscal, whatever. I think that CAS can become a helpful framework as we seek to do less better, to make better decisions about the work that we do, uh, to figure out what really are priorities. You know, if some people say, wow, there's a lot in there. We should be doing a lot of things. Well, when it comes down to it, maybe, maybe not. And I think it's important to note too that there's no CAS police. It's not an accrediting <laughs> body. No one's gonna bust you if you're not killing it on all the standards. If anything, we hope this is a reflective tool that someone might use and say, you know, when you go through the process at the end of it, the accountability is really up to you. Mm -hmm. So if there is a message of like, well, we need to do better, great. If there's a, well, these aren't priorities right over here, where context, culture, whatever it is, resources, we just can't do all these things, fine. Or maybe you go through the process and you're like, wow, as we've done this, I think it's really important that we start tackling these things, doing these kinds of programs and services. Maybe we should redirect resources over here so mm. we can actually do this better and better serve our students. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear. Yeah, go ahead, Lena. Sure, sure. Some campus users can use, take what you need from the CAS standards, but use that to justify or explain uh, to, to broader constituents why something is a priority. For example, I, I came up through student conduct and conflict resolution, and there are certain very specific standards, for example, around privacy. Uh, and the same is true of the, the clinical counseling, the, the counseling uh, standards. And so uh, if you, uh, if somebody says, okay, you can do your work, you can be just fine in this big open cubicle area, you can turn to the standards to say, absolutely not. It is a must that we have spaces that preserve the, the privacy of, of students. And so that's an example of, of, you know, to Dan's point where we can very specifically justify uh, the, the allocation of, of resources uh, and, and help us prioritize by using CAS as a compass. Yeah. Yeah, when I started my current role um, several years ago, it was a brand new office and it had been in, in existence before, but it, there had been a hiatus and you know, shift in divisional um, reporting line. And I think the new division was just like, we're going to hire a director and then not really think about like, what does it mean to operate an office? And, and so I, I pulled open the CAS standards and started writing in my annual report. The CAS standard said, we must have this, this is going to cost this. And then was able to make the case for I, you all I can't see because I have a background on, but this this lovely office suite that my that my unit now is housed in because it's really vital um, 
to be able to uh, tie back. And so it was a voice of, um, at least in, in my institution, a voice of authority uh, that these are important things that we must be taking into you know, serious consideration if we're going to better serve students, right? And and that was a really nice way to make that direct connection. Um, I would love to hear about upcoming um, sessions at ACPA NASPA. Um, what are the ways in which people can kind of improve their understanding and better utilize CAS in their various um, in their various roles? Sure, sure. The, the broadest advice I would give, I would say, start somewhere, start anywhere. I say that anytime we talk about assessment, it, it, I think people get a, a little bit overwhelmed by the idea of a full assessment cycle, or they think the idea of assessment is, is uh, ambiguous and scary. Start anywhere. Uh, specific to CAS, you can chip away at a, a self-review if you feel overwhelmed. You can squirrel away evidence over a year and then go back and apply that to a self-assessment guide. There, there is no uh, pristine, precise way of doing it. Start start anywhere, and, and we are here to help. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is that just like good consumers and good producers of research, good consumers of CAS help us to be better producers of CAS. And so mm -hmm. tell us what you think and need, uh, and we will make things happen. That has certainly been true leading up to uh, this 11th version and, and will continue to be true. Uh, your, your question about ACPA and NASPA, we have a generous presence in, in both spaces this year. I think three or four sessions at NASPA four or five, maybe at ACPA, including a pre-conference. And so uh, consult the schedule for both of those and know that we will be there also in the exhibit hall space uh, where we will be uh, showing some uh, some some sneak previews of, of CAS 11 uh, and taking pre-orders as well. I love it. That's great. Dan, what else would you say advice to practitioners to improve their understanding? Feel like Lena just nailed it um, in so many regards. And I, I just really think it's important to emphasize that there's no wrong way to use these. Mm -hmm. Pick them up, read them, get closer to the work that you're doing, improve your practice, figure out how to implement things, integrate CAS in some ways, possibly do a self-assessment, possibly do a program review. Um, and you know, the, the 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 question about other professional standards too, you know. I, I supervised a director of counseling at my previous institution and they were APA accredited. I wasn't going to get them to do CAS and that's totally fine too. I sat down once with her and kind of talked about some of the alignment between the standards so that she understood that as well. But you know, I think whatever you can do just to become more familiar with and, and incorporate them into your practice, I think is important. Um, and yes, we are going to be very present at those conferences. We'll, we'll have a present at the Student Success in Higher Education Conference this summer, the Assessment Institute. We're happy to do webinars or like um, call in for classes. Just let us know if you need our help in terms of deploying CAS, whether it be in your unit, in your division, or or, or whatever. So, yeah. that is great. Well, as I said at the beginning, um, we are. This is part one of a two-part series featuring CAS. Um, on our next episode, we're going to spend some time kind of digging more into program review because I think that's one of the tangible ways that many people think of of CAS as as um, a tool for assessment. Um, I think I think we're almost at the end of time. And for those who are listening, not watching, Ralph had to leave us um, to go to a student. Um, event. And so Ralph, we miss you. We will not be hearing your final thoughts, but I would love to hear from both Dan and Lena 
uh, as you know, this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. Um, what, after this conversation or just in general, are you thinking about pondering, questioning, kind of curious about um, about now? And so, uh, Dan, I'll start back with you. I just sat for two days with the chief student affairs officers and kind of their AVPs from the Southeast um, area. Um, so not just SEC schools, but a number of schools in the Southeast and, and we meet annually. And I kept going back to this idea, you know, of all the issues we're trying to deal with right now, where does student affairs continuous improvement efforts kind of fit into our strategy? And I keep thinking about student affairs assessment as almost becoming if it stays the way it was 10 years ago, less and less relevant. And I think that as VPs of student affairs and leaders within our divisions are looking at that position, I would hope that they're really trying to find ways to make it more about continuous improvement and integrating of services and planning and those kinds of things. So I think for me, the future of the chief of the student affairs assessment professional is on top of mind. And I know that Sal and other people, student affairs assessment leaders and others are committed to you know, evolving that role, but I hope that we can do better in order to make that role more important within our field. Interesting. I love that. That's that's a good final thought to leave us on. Uh, Lena, what about you? I agree with a different spin. Um, my my thoughts are are also about continuous improvement, but specifically about quality of life being compatible with quality of work vis-a-vis mm. -vis the the 21st uh, century report on unemployment that came out of ACPA and uh, so that's one part of it Selena for that one oh my gosh another really? dream team but but I keep thinking about it in, yeah. in large part connected to what Dan shared about we we need to do better and and now we have an idea of how Mm -hmm. So uh, that's part of it. And then for students, it, I keep coming back to how to empower them to make healthy decisions and, and to uh, increase their comfort with navigating conflict, like internal and external. I, I am just so struck by the way students are turning away from their own wellness, including um, healthy discourse and, and uh, healthy conflict. And uh, Dan and I, in our primary roles, both do um, campus wellness work, and so no surprise that 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 is also on my mind. Yeah, you you both are naming things that are definitely on my radar, and something I I'm thinking about, particularly related to that 21st century um, employment report, has to do with what do we what do we do with this information through the lifespan of the professional, right? So how do we create sustainable careers in student affairs, and there's there's a great book there, but I think it does begin with kind of thinking through some of these larger issues and then the ways in which white supremacy is embedded in there. So Lena, fabulous, absolutely fabulous contributions to that project. Thank you so much. And there's some also some past Student Affairs Now episodes that deal with sustainable workplaces and all the topics yes. we talked about. So check out the, the archives, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, our um, sustainable, we featured that book, I think, on a couple of different episodes, but, um, and then the two, the ACPA president and then the task force lead for the employment um, piece, that episode, um, and it's so interesting that you brought that up today because literally this morning I was in a staff meeting and I was like, well, you know, there's a report that just talked about this. And I keep like, giving it to folks and sharing it. So um, this was great. Thank you both so much for all of your time and for your contributions to CAST, to version 11, 
um, to the profession. I look forward to seeing you both at ACPA um, next month in New Orleans. And thank you so much for your contribution to the conversation. I am so grateful for everyone's time today on this episode exploring CAS. Thank you so much. Sending also heartfelt appreciation to the de dedicated behind the scenes work of our producer, Nat Ambrosi. Thanks, Nat. If you are listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our, visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com and scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you are there, check out our archives. Thanks to today's sponsors of this episode, Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Our other sponsor today is Stylus Publishing. Stylus is proud to be a sponsor for the Student Affairs Now podcast. Browse their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at styluspub.com. Use promo code SANOW for 30% off all books, plus free shipping. You can find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at styluspub. Please take a moment to visit our website and click on the sponsors link to learn more. Again, my name is Heather Shea. Thanks to all of our listeners and to everybody who is watching. Make it a great week.